The artist is the creator of beautiful things. To reveal art and conceal the artist is art's aim. The critic is he who can translate into another manner or a new material his impression of beautiful things. The highest, as the lowest, form of criticism is a mode of autobiography. Those who find ugly meanings in beautiful things are corrupt without being charming. This is a fault. Those who find beautiful meanings in beautiful things are cultivated. For these there is hope. They are the elect to whom beautiful things mean only beauty. There is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well written or badly written. That is all. Welcome back to another episode of Book Blurbs, everyone. Called a perverted novel and the cause of much public outcry, this author's only novel landed him in hot water with the Victorian establishment for violating the laws guarding public morality. A story about a devil's bargain to stay forever young, this is The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was born on October 16, 1854, in Dublin, the second of three children. In addition to his two full siblings, Wilde had three half-siblings who were born out of wedlock before the marriage of his father. Wilde's father, William, was knighted by the British Queen in 1864. He was a medical practitioner specializing in ear and eye surgeries. Wilde's mother achieved a transatlantic reputation as the author of Irish nationalist poetry. With his parents' success and love of socializing, Wilde's house was a focal point for culture in Dublin society. Until he was nine, Wilde was educated at home, where a French nursemaid and a German governess taught him their languages. Wilde attended public school and excelled in classics. He won several prizes for giving oral translations of Greek and Latin texts and earned a scholarship to Trinity College. As a student at Trinity in Oxford, Wilde showed promise not only as a linguist, but also as a witty exponent of the ideas and philosophy of life, which he found in the writings of the ancients. When challenged about his ambitions in life, Wilde replied prophetically, I'll be a poet, a writer, a dramatist. Somehow or other, I'll be famous. And if not famous, I'll be notorious. Catholicism appealed deeply to Wilde. He was engrossed by its rich liturgy and was left speechless after an audience with Pope Pius IX in 1877. Wilde was received into the Catholic Church just before his death. Wilde married Constance Lloyd on May 29, 1884, and they had two sons. Wilde turned to journalism to support his family and their extravagant lifestyle and became the editor of Women's World magazine. Wilde tired of journalism after a while and turned to prose. When he published The Picture of Dorian Gray, Wilde immediately faced criticism. 
One reviewer wrote, quote, Though the premise of the novel could have provided other writers with material for good writing, it has been reserved for Mr. Oscar Wilde to make it dull and nasty. Wilde wrote in protest, quote, Your critic's article contains the most unjustifiable attack that has been made upon any man of letters for many years. And Oscar Wilde asked the editor to take issue politely with the reviewer's critical method. Other papers joined the criticism of the book. The Daily Chronicle said the novel was, quote, a poisonous book, a gloating study of mental and physical corruption, which might be horrible and fascinating, but for its effeminate frivolity, its studied insecurity and insincerity, its theatrical cynicism, its tawdry philosophizing, and the contaminating trail of garish vulgarity. Wilde responded to that review, quote, My story is an essay on decorative art. It is poisonous if you like, but you cannot deny that it is also perfect, and perfection is what we artists aim at. The Scots Observer noted that the book was, quote, ingenious, interesting, and full of cleverness, but it also declared it, quote, false art, false to human nature, false to morality. Wilde transitioned to his theatrical career after the picture of Dorian Gray. His final play, The Importance of Being Earnest, is considered by many to be his masterpiece. And that was my first exposure to Oscar Wilde when I had to read that in high school. Wilde had secret liaisons with young men, particularly with a young Oxford student, Lord Alfred Douglas, with whom he fell in love with in 1892. Douglas's looks and personality suggest a Dorian-like figure, with Wilde alternating between Basil's role as dominated artist and Lord Henry's as irresistible mentor. Douglas's father addressed a calling card to, quote, Oscar Wilde posing as a sodomite. So Wilde sued him for libel. That backfired, however. The cross-examination of Wilde pointed so strongly to evidence of Wilde's illegal sexual activity with other males, including prostitutes, that a criminal prosecution for gross indecency was instigated by the Crown. Wilde was tried later in the month, and after the jury's failure to reach a verdict, again another time. He was found guilty and sentenced to two years of hard labor, the maximum penalty. The judge claimed Wilde had been, quote, the center of a circle of extensive corruption of the most hideous kind among young men. Wilde was incarcerated from May 25th, 1895 to May 18th, 1897. Wilde's health declined in prison. He collapsed from illness and hunger and his right eardrum was ruptured. At one point, he spent two months in the infirmary. Wilde wrote during this time period, quote, When first I was put into prison, some people advised me to try and forget who I was. It was ruinous advice. It is only by realizing what I am that I have found comfort of any kind. 
Now I am advised by others to try on my release to forget that I had ever been in a prison at all. I know that would be equally fatal. It would mean that I would always be haunted by an intolerable sense of disgrace and that those things that are meant for me as much as for anybody else, the beauty of the sun and moon, the pageant of the seasons, the music of daybreak, and the silence of great nights, the rain falling through the leaves, or the dew creeping over the grass and making it silver, would all be tainted for me and lose their healing power and their power of communicating joy. To regret, to regret one's own experiences is to arrest one's own development. To deny one's own experiences is to put a lie into the lips of one's own life. It is no less than a denial of the soul. Some really powerful writing there. After his release from prison, Wilde hardly wrote any new material and lived for a time with Douglas before a mutual lack of funds and disapproval from their families broke apart their relationship. Wilde's wife died in 1898, and he was not reunited with either of his sons. By November 1900, Wilde had developed meningitis. He died at the age of 46 in Paris on November 30th, 1900. On February 14th, 1995, Wilde was commemorated with a stained glass window at Poet's Corner in Westminster Abbey above the monument to Chaucer. Wilde was pardoned in 2017 for homosexual acts that were no longer considered offenses. I'm going to take a short break here, but when Book Blurbs returns, I'll give my thoughts and rating for The Picture of Dorian Gray. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Book Blurbs, everyone. In this episode, I'm discussing The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. The picture of Dorian Gray and its protagonist are synonymous with the pursuit of pleasure, regardless of the moral consequences, and the story is just as relevant today as it was in the 1890s. We live in a culture where youth and good looks are idolized, and aging is a bad thing to be avoided at all costs. Humanity, no matter the century, has a hard time getting over the fact that we all grow old and die. The story revolves around a portrait of Dorian Gray painted by uh, Basil Halward, a friend of Dorian's and an artist infatuated with Dorian's beauty. Through Basil, Dorian meets Lord Henry and is soon enthralled by his worldview. That beauty and sensual fulfillment are the only things worth pursuing in life. Now, with the understanding that his beauty will fade, Dorian expresses the desire to sell his soul to ensure that the picture, rather than he, will age and fade. The wish is granted, and Dorian pursues a life of varied amoral experiences while staying young and beautiful. All the while, his portrait ages and visually records 
every one of Dorian's sins. Notably, Wilde directs the reader's attention away from the miracle, or curse, depending on how you look at it, by which his protagonist's wish is granted. This forces the reader to focus on and grapple with its consequences. The novel reveals little about the magical mechanism or the metaphysical implications which the painting's transformation predicates. Dorian does wonder whether or not there might be some subtle affinity between the chemical atoms of the canvas and the soul that was within him, some curious scientific reason, but finally concludes that if the picture was to alter, it was to alter. Why inquire too closely into it? He accepts the correlation without considering whether a good or an evil power has brought it about. One of the most noticeable themes that I immediately picked up on when reading The Picture of Dorian Gray was the good old-fashioned tug-of-war between good versus evil for the soul of Dorian Gray. I imagine Basil as the angel on one of his shoulders and Lord Henry as the devil on the other. Basil, the artist who painted the portrait of Dorian at the beginning of the novel, is an idealist and eternal optimist. From the outset in chapter one, he knows how dangerous pairing Lord Henry with Dorian can be. Quote, Dorian Gray is my dearest friend, he said. He has a simple and beautiful nature. Your aunt was quite right in what she said of him. Don't spoil him. Don't try to influence him. Your influence would be bad. The world is wide and has many marvelous people in it. Don't take away from me the one person who gives to my art whatever charm it possesses. My life as an artist depends on him. Basil's vision, however, is clouded by the beauty of Dorian, which blinds him. If Dorian looks like an angel, then his behavior must reflect that in the mind of Basil. Art is almost more real to Basil than life, and in artwork, beauty is good. But that doesn't necessarily translate to real life. According to Basil, what you see is what you get. Quote, Sin is a thing that writes itself across a man's face. It cannot be concealed. People talk sometimes of secret vices. There are no such things. If a wretched man has a vice, it shows itself in the lines of his mouth, the droop of his eyelids, the molding of his hands even. Lord Henry frustrated me as a character, which is exactly what he's supposed to do. We as readers can see right through his manipulation, but Dorian gets sucked in by his allure and charm. Lord Henry says, quote, I like persons better than principles, and I like persons with no principles better than anything else in the world. Lord Henry views everything, people, money, art, objects, as a tool of pleasure. Once anything or anyone stops being fun or pleasurable, he loses interest. Lord Henry advises Dorian, quote, 
The only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Resist it, and your soul grows sick with a longing for the things it has forbidden forbidden to itself, with desire for what its monstrous laws have made monstrous and unlawful. It has been said that the great events of the world take place in the brain. It is in the brain, and the brain only, that the great sins of the world take place also. Lord Henry admires Dorian profoundly, but it almost feels like Dorian is Lord Henry's science experiment. Lord Henry introduced a series of malicious elements to a pure subject and watched their corruptive influence take over. Lord Henry is proud of himself for making Dorian what he becomes. Quote, Talking to him was like playing upon an exquisite violin. He answered to every touch and thrill of the bow. There was something terribly enthralling in the exercise of influence. No other activity was like it. To project one's soul into some gracious form and let it tarry there for a moment. To hear one's own intellectual views echoed back to one with all the added music of passion and youth, to convey one's temperament into another as though it were a subtle fluid or a strange perfume. There was a real joy in that, perhaps the most satisfying joy left to us in an age so limited and vulgar as our own, an age grossly carnal in its pleasures and grossly common in its aims. Despite Basil's best attempts at intervening and snapping Dorian out of his immoral ways, Lord Henry's argument is too persuasive. Quote, There is no such thing as a good influence, Mr. Gray. All influence is immoral. Immoral from the scientific point of view. Why? Because to influence a person is to give him one's own soul. He does not think his natural thoughts or burn with his natural passions. His virtues are not real to him. His sins, if there are such things as sins, are borrowed. He becomes an echo of someone else's music, an actor of a part that has not been written for him. The aim of life is self-development, to realize one's own nature perfectly. That is what each of us is here for. People are afraid of themselves nowadays. They have forgotten the highest of all duties, the duty that one owes to oneself. According to Lord Henry's moral code, the only thing one must do is follow his or her own urges. To ignore those urges would be immoral. To go even further, Lord Henry wishes that emotions could be taken out of the equation completely. Quote, As the 19th century has gone bankrupt through an overexpenditure of sympathy, I would suggest that we should appeal to science to put us straight. The advantage of the emotions is that they lead us astray, and the advantage of science is that it is not emotional. In Lord Henry's world, there is no room for emotions or altruistic intentions, sympathy, or kindness. 
It's all about self-centeredness. Furthermore, Lord Henry's cynical outlook, standing in opposition to Basil's optimism, posits that humanity can't change. Quote, Experience was of no ethical value. It was merely the name men gave to their mistakes. Moralists had, as a rule, regarded it as a mode of warning, had claimed for it a certain ethical efficacy in the formation of character, had praised it as something that taught us what to follow and showed us what to avoid. But there was no motive power in its experience. It was as little of an active cause as conscience itself. All that it really demonstrated was that our future would be the same as our past, and that the sin we had done once, and with loathing, we would do many times, and with joy. We the readers see this philosophy of Lord Henry poison Dorian Gray. In chapter 16, Dorian cries, quote, To cure the soul by means of the senses, and the senses by the means of the soul. How the words rang in his ears, his soul certainly was sick to death. Was it true that the senses could cure it? Innocent blood had been spilled. What could atone for that? Ah, for that there was no atonement. But though forgiveness was impossible, forgetness, for, sorry, forgetfulness was possible still. And he was determined to forget, to stamp the thing out, to crush it as one would crush the adder that had stung one. Dorian has given up on seeking redemption. He still has enough of a conscience to know that what he has done is wrong, but he reasons that the best he can try and do is make himself forget his wrongdoing. Although this book can feel sometimes like it's just a bunch of rich people, namely, specifically, rich men sitting around their luxurious homes and talking endlessly, Dorian's tragic transformation really makes this story a worthwhile worthwhile read. Now let's get into my rating. My scale from best to worst is... At the top, bookshelf worthy. Buy. In the middle, we've got library, spark notes, and my lowest rating is simply pass. I'm going to award the picture of Dorian Gray the rating of buy. The picture of Dorian Gray was a fascinating read, full of Oscar Wilde's signature aphorisms. As I was thinking about this book review, it occurred to me that, bear with the Star Wars fan in me, this story has parallels to the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Think about it. Anakin is Dorian, Palpatine is Lord Henry, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is Basil. I absolutely love that this work of classic literature from the 19th century can be tied to movies made in the 21st century. Thank you for listening to this episode of Book Blurbs. I invite you to jump onto social media and follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at BookBlurbs19. That's BookBlurbs and the number 19. 
You can also send an email to bookblurbs19 at gmail.com and you can record a voice message at www.anchor.fm slash bookblurbs. Please do me a favor and leave a rating for book blurbs on whichever podcasting platform you're using to help grow the podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Book Blurbs. <laughs>